Hello, I'm Deborah Quazo, and welcome to Global Silicon Valley's podcast, where we celebrate entrepreneurs and their companies that are bending the arc of human potential through scaled innovations in learning and workforce technology. Today, we are thrilled to welcome Marius Estreit, Chief People Officer at UiPath, the world's leading company in robotic process automation, a very hot topic. He is the Chief People Officer at a company literally bending the arc of human potential and, at the same time, redefining the future of work at large organizations. UiPath is also reported to be the fastest growing enterprise software company in history. Welcome, Marius. Delighted to have you here today. Thank you so much uh, for having me and hello to everyone. So I'd like to start with uh, a little bit of the, the, the scaling that you've been facing as a chief people officer and what has, um, it's just, it's got to be unprecedented growth at UiPath. You've gone from 100 people to 2,400 people in less than two years, um, all during your tenure. Can you talk a little bit about what it's like to manage that kind of um, velocity when you're in charge of the people function at a company? Um, and kind of what issues has, has, uh, have, have grown out of that, that scaling and kind of what, what have been the, stra- the strains and the positives? I'd love to kind of get the perspective. Uh, absolutely. It's, uh, it's a roller coaster ride, obviously, to, to grow at this pace, but it was important for, uh, for UiPath. What we are developing and what we are, uh, you know, bringing out to the world is a productivity tool. Uh, so it was extremely important for us to, uh, plant our flag, if you wish, with, uh, with as many customers as possible in as, as many countries as possible in a very, very fast manner. So this is why we have scaled from 100 to 2,400 people. And a lot of these, the, the people whom we have hired, besides the obvious functions in R&D, because we're a product company, are, are people who are, um, represent core teams in, in, in countries where we have planted our flag. Uh, so you will find offices of UiPath where there are essentially five to 10, uh, maybe 15 employees. Uh, they are a sales or a, if you wish, a customer operations team of sales individuals uh, and uh, sales engineers who are helping our customers understand and adopt this type of, uh, this type of technology. The, the growth pains come from, um, well, obviously, you, you, you can't really design an infrastructure that works perfectly both for a 500 people organization and for a 2500 people organization and, uh, and and there aren't really tools out there that would satisfy both needs so you have to change tools infrastructure pieces of software processes uh, extremely fast that creates a bit of frustration at times uh, not not surprising i guess yeah, right uh and the second piece is just the diversity of 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 the people at, at UiPath we're talking about people from across so many cultures we are present in more than 30 countries right now where 2 years ago we were essentially in just 3 countries right we started out in in, in europe uh, in romania and with an office in london in the united kingdom and then extended to bangalore in india but at the time i joined beginning of 2017 that was it and today we are in more than 30 countries and and the ones that are leading the way for UiPath are are not countries where we were present 2 years ago so uh, that adds to 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 the pressure of building such an organization I would talk about that because that is that is truly remarkable to to now be in thirty countries, uh, you know, having having the, the the leadership ball moving moving as you expand. Mm-hmm. How do you all communicate? You talk about how how you do that now. It, that has obviously been a function that's evolved 
going from 100 to 2400 um and that has to be critically important when you're when you span that this much territory yeah well some things happen naturally i mean for for a company that has started where we started it was obvious that if we want to be successful we need to be present in some some markets and in some countries where where this kind of business is done where enterprise where our enterprise customers are um so i'm thinking about the united states france germany uh but of, also less obvious uh territories like japan or or singapore or china right where we've got pretty strong teams right now what also helped us in this process, I believe, is the fact that we started in a smaller country and we, and, you know, it's, it's not pejorative when I say it, but a smaller culture. Um, the team of co-founders is a team of Romanian co-founders. Um, it's, it's a young country that has emerged middle of the 19th century, century out of the fragmented central and, and, and Eastern Europe. So, um, it's a culture and, I like to believe that we're the kind of people who are more um, permissive, open uh, to to accept and to embrace um, uh, some differences between us and others. And I think this has allowed us to to, to grow quite fast and to be curious and open about the way other people are are doing business. so this is definitely part of the equation. Other than that, we have attracted talent who has worked in global companies before, not in the exact same way that UiPath does, because our footprint is literally evenly spread across the globe. We're you know thirty five percent dependent on the Americas, thirty five percent on Europe and the Middle East, and the rest thirty percent on Asia Pacific. So I think very very few companies can say that in the enterprise software space. Most companies will start in the U.S. and then kind of expand from there. Uh, so our trajectory was rather unique from this point of view. We have hired people, as I said, who've worked in global companies before, who have seen, if not this spread of the business and not this distribution of the business, who have worked well with their colleagues from uh, from abroad, and then and then this facilitated the, the integration of new people, also. Yeah, that, that's fascinating. Well, let, let's go a little further on the on the culture piece. The you know, I love in your LinkedIn profile we talked about before. You you talk about building up a freedom-based organization. When we had an earlier conversation, you also talked about the important role that management has in, in being a, quote, remover of obstacles. So can you, that I would characterize that as a, a, a different, you know, a, an inverted approach to the traditional organization. And I think, you, you, as you said earlier, you all come from a very different place. Uh, what does that mean to you, um, you know, on both of that fronts? What, what kinds of things do you all do uniquely that um, that result in a freedom-based organization and, and reduction of obstacles for your talented group of employees? Freedom is responsibility. That is the brief answer. Freedom is responsibility. And for a leader, that translates into the responsibility to make their teams and uh, the individuals in their team successful at what they're doing. And in turn, that translates into removing uh, obstacles from, from their way. It's I don't know if, if, if the comparison will hold, but I often think of it as um, just like I think of, of parenthood. What are you doing for your child? Are you preparing your child to be able to navigate difficulties in life or are you protecting them you know, in, uh, in every possible way? So uh, you know, trying, uh, trying to be there um, uh, for them every step along the way. There are, there are phases of both. And I think the, the um, I think the, 
if you wish, the fidelity or the caring side of a, of a leader is, is, is shown first by you know, demonstrating to people there's an obstacle there. I'm going to help you remove it and I'm going to teach you. I'm going to train you. I'm going to you know, upskill you and I'm going to help upskill you so that the next time you can handle it yourself. So in brief, again, freedom is responsibility. People who become leaders, that's, that's the way classic organizations have been structured. And uh, even experienced leaders we have hired, they became leaders because years ago, 10 years, 15, 20 years ago, they became so good at their job that somebody had decided they need to take, uh, that they need to take a management role. Right, and what that meant uh, for them was that they, of course, they knew the job so well that they could do it for others in case of need, or help others do it in case of need. We're, we're taking, we want to take that one step further, and we say, yeah, we we, we are also an organization that uh, holds its people to very high standards in terms of uh, execution, but we also have an expectation from all the leaders. Right to be responsible for their teams, and responsible means caring while at the same time showing a way, showing a path forward. So I think this is what um, a freedom-based organization refers to. And again, it has both components. It has the, the holding people to very high standards and caring for them, and initially clearing a path for them, and then allowing them to clear the path for themselves. Yeah, that's a that's a fascinating dynamic. There's a, a, a book recently published in the U.S. called "The Coddling of the American Mind." I think arguing that that, that culturally we've moved too far in one direction, rightly or whether the argument's right or wrong. But it's a that's that's a fascinating balance. Um, let's talk for a minute about I, I I did refer to the fact that that UiPath was recently um, named a top twenty unicorn company. On um, the company comparably did a 2018 culture ranking, uh, and not only were you top 20, you were actually tied for number one. You know, best I could see on the math, which is incredibly impressive. Uh, and I think obviously it's a it's it's the result of the things you've been talking about. But um, in particular, I, I love this, and I want to get your take on it. They um, the highest rate the highest rating that the UiPath employees gave was a 97 out of 100, and that was on happiness. Um, and I would love to hear you. There's a lot of debate right now around happiness and is happiness the appropriate term? Is that the right mm-hmm. thing to be measuring? Is it really more about, you know, meaningfulness and impact, purpose? Uh, a lot of different words thrown out there. I'd love to hear how you all think about happiness at UiPath. Is that a metric? Um, obviously, you have happy employees because they reflected mm-hmm. in, the, in, the, uh, in the poll. But um, just love to hear how you all think of that culturally. It's 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 all of that, Deborah. Uh, happiness is meaningfulness. It is purpose, a sense of purpose, and it is for us bringing your whole self to work. And when you see that ranking, I think this is what we need to to think of. This is what our employees were thinking of. In in any case, it's about bringing uh, your whole self to work. And I I don't know. Sometimes these rankings or these kind of you know, recognition, it's, it's, it's more than welcome and we appreciate it, um, especially since it's, it, it, it came in organically, right? It's mm-hmm, not something right. that, that, that happened because we, we, we sponsored it in any way. Uh, but what are we, I often ask myself, what are we actually measuring? And you're right, you know, happiness can, be, can often be a pervasive term, right? What, what, what does it mean? For us, it means bringing your whole self to work. And I don't, I don't mean to imply that we're perfect at this and that 97% of our employees um, 
are bringing their whole self to work every day, uh, day in, day out as, as, as they spend time with UiPath. But what I mean to say is that we are together creating an environment where we feel more often that we can be ourselves at work. And that gives us a sense of relief uh, in, in our day-to-day activity, even when... And that even brings when, authenticity, really, then, into the yeah. equation. No one has to be somebody else when they get to the job. No, they don't. And, uh, I mean, the, the majority of people do not have to be... Now, obviously, there will always be cases. Again, I'm not pretending that things are perfect, perfect and, and nobody should. But I believe that out of my 2,400 uh, uh, colleagues, the majority can bring their whole self to, to work and we can have open discussions uh, about what what they need to be uh, better, about what's going on in their lives, about how we can support them, about certain mistakes that we've made. We actually have a channel called Love Mistakes where where we post some of the stuff that we do um, and where we, you know, where we messed up something for, for others right. to see, so, for others to learn. Some of them are really funny. I was saying, give, about, exa- give some examples. I'd love to hear that. <laughs> well, um, there there are a bunch. There are a bunch. Uh, I'll give you a recent one. One of my colleagues uh, traveled to Romania very, very recently, and uh, they were trying to um, find out, kind of, you know, what are the channels that 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 people. Uh, used to communicate in here? What do we exchange about, right? What do we talk about? Because we've got regional channels and we've got global channels. So he joined um, a few of those and he saw one that was particularly active, right? And he he asked himself, hmm, I wonder what, what, what this is, and came to the conclusion that that was a channel dedicated to discussing men, men's cosmetic products and fragrances. Uh, it was actually our food channel in Romania. <laughs> we were talking, where we were talking about ordering food and what kind of suppliers we want to have in there, and we give state, daily statuses about, uh, you know, whether the food is here or not. So, uh, you know, he just. He just shared that uh, uh, recently and he thought, you know, he thought to himself and then told some of the colleagues in our New York office, yeah, Romanians are kind of weird. Did you know they had this, <laughs> <laughs> this channel for where the men in the group <laughs> exchange, uh, you know, notes about cosmetic products and it was, uh, it was not that. But yeah, that's, that's the kind of funny thing where you're, we, you're we very, exchange You're very transparent about information. Yeah. Well, we we we're, I mean we're as transparent as 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 can be. There are, there are obviously some communication guidelines right within the company about right. what we can share and what we cannot share. But you know, as transparent as we can be. Yeah. That's great. That's great. The, the other thing, and I and, and I actually like to come back to kind of pol- you know unique policies and benefits and you know um, that you all may have related to 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 this whole idea of bringing your whole self to work. Um, but also the other thing that, that stood out for me in this, um, in this comparably study was the fact that you all got extremely high ratings for gender and diversity. And, um, and that's a very difficult uh, thing to do based on other, looking at other companies' experiences. Um, it's a very difficult thing to do in a, high, in a, in a very high-tech company um, historically, or at least that's been the evidence to date. So I'm just curious how you all have, have, you know, achieved that kind of employee perceived employee satisfaction, at least around these issues and whether you are doing things uniquely, whether it's related to paternity, maternity leave, or, you know, any other policies that you've kind of put in place on the fly as you've built this workforce up. Mm-hmm. Uh, th- there are two layers to this answer. I think, first of all, Deborah, it's important to, to say that 
we we started off the activity in a country where there is a much higher percentage of women in technology ah. uh, due to our historical uh, you know heritage let's say yep. um, if there was one good thing if we can call it that about communism it was that it was at least on the surface promoting equality in the workplace which means that a lot of us grew up surrounded by uh, female uh, attorneys judges teachers uh, doctors um, engineers uh, you know my mother is is an engineer and was a leader in a, in one of the top companies in, in 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 Romania so there was that that's the way we grew up we never intentionally asked ourselves the, this question uh, as as we grew up right that's the that's the way it was and that's the way it is uh people and, were and on, and on that that's so fascinating and so we need to become communists here in the united states clearly no no, <laughs> no i don't say i no, definitely not i mean I, as i said it's probably the one you know the one small good thing that derived out of it somehow in the end. But it also tells you, I mean, you tell me, but but I, we're having a conversation at ASU, GSV, advising um, young companies how to avoid, you know, the bro culture, young tech companies. And what it does also say is that when you start on day one with a, you know, and you do need to start on day one. Yeah. Um, I mean, is that fair? I mean, yeah, absolutely. You do have to start on day one. I, I think that what's important is to realize there is no other way. There isn't, there isn't an alternative here. You, you cannot have diverse, uh, a diverse way or a non-diverse way. Right? If you are targeting to be a top employer, top comp- company to deliver a top product, you need diversity because that is what will lead to enriching your perspective and your and your product and uh, if you couple that well with authenticity and if you give people space to be authentic and to teach things to 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 one another um, and I'm not just referring to gender diversity here I'm, I'm referring to all kinds of diversity yep. if you create that space for people to share over the long run right you will have a much much richer organization I, I I certainly I certainly believe in that one. I'd, we'd we'd love to see more companies uh, based in the U.S. Uh, develop de- develop in that direction. And it is. I think, I think, but I, I think global companies are moving in that direction anyway, because you cannot have a global company right now and not have offices in in yep. China, for example. Yep. You cannot be a global company and not have offices in Western Europe in places like like France and Sweden. And, you know, France, Sweden are two examples of countries that have gone a long, long way in ensuring equality in the workplace, independently of gender, race or, or, or religion or uh, any other aspect. So I think, uh, you know, when you look at things from, from, from this perspective, it's, that's why I'm saying there, there isn't really an alternative. That's what we're moving towards uh, anyway. Let's buckle up and prepare. That's what we do. <laughs> That's good. All right. Well, let me, let me take you back a little bit to to your your roots. I mean, you previously were the CEO, actually, of a, a tech a skills company. Um, so yep. you're you're acutely, uh, you know, you're acutely aware of um, the skills issues that, yep. that we're facing in the world. And so I, I guess the question is, you know, clearly, um, if you look at the adoption, the the extraordinary pace of adoption of RPA. Um, you got you at UiPath like to say you're creating one robot for every person, and I love that because yeah. it sort yeah. of fights the, the 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 fear that people have of of inherent job loss from RPA. But 
so I'd love you to comment both on that, but also on, you know, given your roots and given what the, the impact RPA is having, you know, where do you see the role of, of perpetual workforce learning and upskilling in the future? And I mean, do you, do you have a view where, where really companies become the, the third education system um, of the, you know, for, for adults everywhere? Um, I'd love to have you react on that. They were, they were supposed to become by now. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> they were supposed to, but uh, it, it hasn't happened because there was this middle stage, maybe around the 70s, um, uh, 80s, where suddenly the structure and the way to operate and uh, the command and control mode of running an organization became more important than the blood of the organization itself, which is its people and the skills of those people. Now, this being said, companies, organizations, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, companies or uh, nonprofits or non-governmental NGOs, right? All of them look at productivity in one way or another. They need to get as much work done as possible in the shortest amount of time possible. That's productivity increase trumps everything. Uh, economic the cycles, uh, it, it, it trumps everything. So this is one bet that can safely be made by organizations. If we invest in productivity increase, you know, we are more likely to be successful. Now, how do you invest in productivity increase? You invest in productivity increase by upskilling your, uh, your, the people within your organization right? And uh, also by bringing in technology like robotic process automation, but it's not the only one, that is going to move the bottlenecks that are there in the work being done further down the stream, right? And -hmm. let me tell you what that means. And I'm going to use an analogy. If you've ever had one of those days where where you're really happy because you responded to all of your emails during the day, you responded to everyone, you checked all the items on your on your task list, right? Then you know what a horrible morning you're going to have tomorrow morning because everyone is going to reply back and and give you new action points because you you know right. you have solved everything. <laughs> I've been so there. You essentially, <laughs> you essentially moved the, the the bottleneck of today to tomorrow morning. <laughs> this is this is what happens when you implement productivity uh, software within your organization. And it can be, it can take various shapes and forms. It can be RPA, but it can also be, you know, pieces of HR software or financial software or uh, ERPs or CRMs, right? This is what's what's happening. You're moving the bottleneck further down in, in the streamline. So then you need to analyze things again and see, okay, what do I do now? I, I'm getting more work done in this stage of the process, right? What can I do to move the bottleneck even further down or till the point where I completely remove it. And what you need to do is to upskill your people. They are the ones who are going to identify those bottlenecks and they're the ones who are going to tell you, you've got a bottleneck here. So this is why the two go, go hand in hand and one does not go without the other. And implementing a robot for everyone, a digital assistant for, for everyone is essentially a, a vision of getting people to that level of, of, of expertise where they are able to quickly identify those bottlenecks, move them down in, in, in the stream and uh, potentially remove them from uh, entirely from, from the processes of the, of, of the company. Okay. 
get me a robot. We're too small to have. A, we're too small to get RPA. What do I do? <laughs> I need well, an actually, 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 it's for free, Deborah. You can download That's it. True. That's and, true. That's true. Create your your very first personal assistant uh, for, for free. I about that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Talk a minute, just as we're you know closing up here. Talk a minute, minute about the RPA Academy, and that's really an effort to actually turn learning out. I mean, to to provide learning to the outside, correct? And that's yeah. and how, well, how how ambitious are you are you all around that, et cetera? Oh, we're extremely ambitious about it. We believe RPA should become, for me personally, it should sit in, in job descriptions for white collar jobs. It should sit uh, on the same line as as office or uh, bureaucratic products like office, right? It mm-hmm. should sit right right in there. Uh, and that's why we developed the RPA Academy and, and launched it about one year and almost two years now. It's, it's been almost two years since, since we launched it in an effort not only to, you know, to give the, the material out to, uh, to the academic uh, environment, but also to individuals who want to, you know, prepare for what the future jobs uh, are going to, to look like. So this, I think, actually, I can use this to respond to part of your previous question. The workplace is a place where uh, where some of the education needs to happen. Also, one's home is a place where some of the education needs to happen. Right. What we're doing, we're, we're trying to facilitate every version of it. The academy is free whether you are an employee in, a, in an enterprise and you want to spend uh, maybe three hours or four hours of your allotted uh, learning and development time uh, for uh, uh, for learning a new piece of software, or whether you're at home wondering, hey, what is my next job going to be, and can I prepare uh, in a certain way for it? The RPA Academy is an answer to uh, to both, and it's free, and and it's free with a variety of courses for business analysts, for software engineers, for infrastructure engineers, or simply for business professionals who want to become uh, what we call RPA aware. This has been amazing. Um, you know, I, I, I cannot be, imagine being in your shoes uh, with, with the rocket ship that you all have, have in, in place and um, really incredibly appreciate your, uh, your, your joining us today, Marius, and uh, really look forward to seeing you in San Diego in a couple of weeks. Thank you very much for the invite and looking forward to, to seeing you in San Diego also. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.